Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. I am Michael, your host, and in the studio with me is David. Hello, David. How's it going? All right. We are the hosts that control things here on From the Holodeck, a show where we delve into a wide variety of Star Trek content. So if you're new to our show, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search Star Trek from the Holodeck. Our preferred place for our listeners to find our show is iTunes as well as Spotify. You can just search from the Holodeck, leave us reviews, give us a thumbs up. It does help trigger algorithms that then help people discover our show a little easier. Okay, so David, a lot of hype moving into the second season of Star Trek Picard. And a little dread. A little dread for some people, yes, absolutely. It's If you're new to the show, you, you might want to go back and listen to our first season discussion to fully understand, because we are not going to go into that territory very often. We're looking forward. Yes. We're moving forward, and we're looking into the future, and we want to be positive. Uh, there were some negatives. We will we, say that with season two, there were some problems with character development, uh, when you have the showrunner, or I should say the former showrunner of Star Trek Picard claim numerous times in interviews that he didn't even know what the show was going to be about until halfway through, that's the reason why we had problems with the overall story. It's not necessarily the things that they did. It's how it was executed. Yes. It was at times incoherent. Uh Story development or character development fizzles. It, it's very strange what they did with the first season. However, however, David, however, we are looking to the future. Yes. And we are optimistic and we are hoping that the second season will, in fact, be a strong installment of Star Trek. And David, I will say in 60 minutes, the new showrunner, Akiva Goldsman, seemed to be intent on doing a few things. Yes. You, you you might actually say that he, he snapped his fingers and made things disappear. Oh, well, well, look at, look at you. <laughs> he did. He, he did his own cue. <laughs> and just for a little bit of context, a little context there. Akiva Goldman has also throughout the last year and a half in interviews has said and admitted that there's been some less than stellar things that they did with the first season. Yes. It was no wonder why there's a new showrunner involved, despite what they may say to save face and, and, and Shaban willingly left to go work on other things. This guy would not leave Starship Picard to go work on other things. Yes. Okay. He was let go because he's not a great showrunner, but we now have someone like Akiva Goldsman, who's a veteran TV writer. Yes, he is. Who's been in the business for many, many years, has worked on some of the best television shows. And uh, that's one reason why I am optimistic and confident about this season moving forward. And if the first episode can be 
our first piece of a, of evidence, exhibit A, if you will, it does in fact look like they are trying to quickly fix certain things in a subtle fashion that will allow them to move past some of those less than stellar issues from first season and essentially just leave them in the past and forget about them moving forward. Well, the thing that makes me really, really excited so far for the, from season one, one simple thing that basically made me really excited was Akiva Goldsman's experience as a scriptwriter. He knows how to get his point across without actually, you know, write. And there, there's not going to be any weak writing involved in the scripts. There's going to be purposeful writing because Akiva Goldsman knows how a television script has to feel and has to flow. Right. So that automatically made me, okay, a little more excited because of his experience. And sure enough, if you look at some various parts in this episode, you can see that Akiva Goldsman used his experience to introduce various characters very seamlessly and very quickly. Yes. Because he has to. You have to do that in television. You cannot drag it out for like three episodes. Especially dealing with a show that essentially is the second season you have to you have to pick your battles and find those moments that you can fix and reframe things that were strong elements in the first season that you feel you can use in your second season and that's definitely something Akiva Goldsman did if you know what to look for when it comes to television it's very clear that this is an episode that demonstrates Goldsman uh Goldsman's plan of action, you can see his strategy. And we're going to dissect through a lot of this starting right now, David. So number one thing, I want to I want to go through almost like a checklist of items that Akiva Goldsman, David, already has worked to either fix, finesse, sand the rough edges around so that the season can move forward in a fluid fashion. So number one, and to me, the most important is the difference in which they handled Picard as a character in one episode. There is a greater, there is greater coherence and understanding of the character than all of last season. No, no, no. Take that even further. Greater respect, greater respect. And I mean, last season wasn't really about Picard It was more about the people around him and his involvement with them. But it really wasn't about him. He was dragged into a story that wasn't really about him. And to be perfectly honest, it's hard to pinpoint what the season was really about because it was all over the place. But if you had to whittle it down, I'd say it was more about Data and his legacy, I guess. And that's that's reaching. Yeah. And that's me being generous. But I digress, Dave. Akiva has chosen to dissect a portion of Picard's life that we are familiar with, but the focus is unique. Picard's mother is all about the mystery. We know of his father. We know of his brother. We know of his nephew. These are elements that they delved into quite a bit. Numerous times in Star Trek Seven. They used it as character motivation for Picard to move forward when it pertains to his legacy and his purpose. 
almost field a type of existentialism a bit for Picard in Star Trek Generations. And then, of course, there were a couple episodes that also dealt with his issues with family in TNG. But one aspect that was never really fully touched on or fleshed out was his relationship with his mother. Yeah, it was the missing piece to the Picard legacy. The the Picard story. The Picard story. That's a perfect way of saying it, Dave. It was the missing piece. And if you go back and review Picard's story, you would never say, oh, the, the, the missing element of his mother made for an incomplete story. I would disagree. It just made for a story that didn't focus on his mother. However, this is what a good writer does, David. Someone who at least has a plan. They go and review a character's life and what we do know and what we don't and, and focus on the areas that haven't fully been fleshed out. And the fact that the mother has not been fully fleshed out, it allows for the writers to delve into an aspect of Picard that feels sincere and honest to the character and also unique because it's something we haven't fully explored. Explored. It's a relative unknown. And the best part by far, taking that unknown and fleshing out even more importance with what we already know. You know, it's one thing of actually introducing something unknown that doesn't touch on anything, any other aspect, but touching on the mother aspect of Picard strengthens what we already know of Picard's relationship with his father and his brother and the importance of those two characters within Picard's legacy. Because, like, the one thing that I like that Akiva Goldsman did with <clears throat> within just 30 minutes of the episode was really hard harp in on the fact that Picard's in this situation, not by his own choice. The whole, the whole reason why he's here is because his father and his brother or no, his brother and his nephew both passed away and there's no other Picard to carry on this lineage. He's the last one. So it falls onto him to basically carry on the tradition of the, of the vineyard. That's why he's here. And At least we can assume, right? Yeah, I mean. we can assume that, especially, you know, like, especially in his speech at the Federation when he makes that, uh, the, the speech about how, uh, the talk about legacy and how he's the last Picard. Well, this is something that he never had really concerned himself with. I mean, you can go back to, again, Star Trek Seven, Star Trek Generations for that bit of information. He specifically mentioned that he never concerned himself with legacy because his brother and his, his nephew, nephew were around. But as we know, they died and it probably changed his perspective. And again, we're taking a lot of liberties here and we are speculating on this potential character development. But it does make sense because when you're dealing with a character that we have essentially been privy to about, what, 40 years of his life, 30 years of his life, There's a lot that we do know about him, but there's also areas in between that we don't fully understand. And by using the mother aspect to bring out those aspects of mystery, it fills in some potential character gaps. And what I mean by that is the aspect that is prime for development, Mm -hmm. prime for development. And it's a question that we probably never really fully realized that we need an answer to. And it's the reason why Picard has always been somewhat distant when it comes to his personal affairs. Yes. This is so much a part of his characterization. We all understand it. Immediately, we understand his standoff behavior when it comes to the personal. 
In fact, that's why the ending of Star Trek The Next Generation was so impactful and heart-touching when Picard finally sat down with his crew to play poker. Yeah, and then basically his his last line by far was basically, you know, I should have did this sooner. I should have done this sooner. Yeah. And it's like oh, the the beautiful thing, the sad thing was Picard's reaction, but the beautiful romantic thing about it was his crew's reaction by basically saying, yeah, you should have, but it doesn't matter. You're here now. Yeah, Dave, and this is so much a part of his characterization. I'm surprised that it's a story that has never been fully told before. This direction gives me faith in a season because it shows that Akiva Goldsman has done his research and he understands the character. He understands the missing story, the potential missing puzzle pieces to this man's journey and his story. And even better, David, using Guinan to flesh out the personal and intimate moments. This is how she was used in TNG. Picard is not a sharer. He doesn't share. No. Except with Guinan. Guinan, yeah. That gets the character talking almost every single time. Except for one thing. Because remember, Guinan mentioned that there's only one thing in their entire life that they've they've worked together that he will never broach on, which is something about why he's so distant. It's the issue with love. It's the issue with love. Yeah. And and listen, that's why Guinan is the perfect character to broker that conversation. And even and even more keeping with Picard himself, it would make sense for him if he is going to choose to finally talk to Guinan because he realizes that he may have a problem, that he just has some type of intimacy issue that obviously is connected to his mother. Yeah. Something happened where he needs to protect himself. Uh, He doesn't feel like he should share that or he can share that type of intimacy with someone for a long period of time. But if he is going to finally decide to deal with it, having Guinan there as that sounding board at the beginning makes perfect sense. In fact, Dave, she should have been around last season. In fact, we said this. In fact, I believe when we talked about Counselor Troy being a part of the show. We there were rumors that Jonathan Franks and Marina Sirtis were going to be guest starring. We said that's great. We would love to see them, but the character that really would matter to the story in a way that would really progress a show that is titled Bacard. If you really want to get into his head, you got you should have brought Guinan. You should have brought Guinan in. And that's why when Akiva Goldsman was announced that he was going to be the showrunner, and then shortly after it was announced that Whoopi Goldberg, Goldberg. would be reprising a role, her role as Guinan, all it did was solidify my faith in Akiva Goldsman because he understands the importance of that character. And and the thing is, I I hope Star Trek fans out there when they see this. Because I already saw a couple of remarks about it online is like people were complaining that, well, Picard shouldn't feel like this because he has his crew. And that's always been the excuse for Picard, you know, feeling this way is because, well, he shouldn't feel like this because he has his crew. He has Riker. He has Troy. He had Data. He had Worf. He had all these people around him. Yeah, they aren't with him 24-7. And also their subordinates. They're subordinates. And, and also in the grand lifespan of a person like Picard, he spent seven years with them during the show. 
Yeah. Think about that for a second. And then let's even move into the movies. So at most, he might have spent 14 years with them. Yeah. As subordinates. It's an, it's an indictment on, on his crew, how loyal they are to him. But for Picard, even last season, one of the, one of the few bright moments that I enjoyed was the fact that Riker was there to yeah. talk to Picard. Right. And Riker was like constantly saying, you know, you can always come to us. He always reaffirmed that we have your back. Yeah. But Riker also understood Picard is who he is because he's so standoffish. He 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 has intimacy issues and he doesn't want to rely on his crew. Yeah. And I love the fact that in the very end, while it was a cool, you know, nostalgic moment, there was meaning behind it where where Riker is sitting there at the very end saying that I'm not going to just sit back and let you have all the fun, basically. Essentially, he's like saying, no matter what, I will always have my captain's back. It doesn't right. matter about but, my captain's feelings. It's an indictment on the, that character of Riker. Right. And But ultimately, yeah, you're right. And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, there's always going to be a slightly different relationship between your crew. Between a crew and a captain. And a crew and a captain. There always will be because that's the professionalism of a captain and his crew and the relationship and how it should be in a professional sense. That's how it has been and that's how it will always be. It, it is what it is. And that's why the character of Guinan always works so well in TNG. In TNG and even the moments that he had with, with Deanna Troy as well, which also helped but it was a very different relationship. Yes. There was things that he was willing to share with Guinan that he wasn't willing to share with anyone else because she wasn't a member of his crew. And she wasn't a subordinate. He, yeah. She was almost like an a, a equal to his. Yeah, I, I, Maybe I shouldn't say a member of his crew. She was on board, but she didn't necessarily work for him. She yeah. wasn't a part of Starfleet. She wasn't part of Starfleet. So this could be a great character study. It really could. This is what we should have gotten in season one. Well, that's what we keep stressing because you're dealing with a show about. Okay. So David was last season a struggle when it came to actual writing. Yes. The writing was weak, but the premise was strong. If you can pinpoint the premise and that premise is up to interpretation because there's lots of different things you can pinpoint. <laughs> yes. That was my problem with the season. It was just murky and incoherent. You're not quite sure what the real intent is, but you have a show called Picard, not Star Trek, blah, 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 that stars Patrick Stewart as Picard. It's literally titled Picard. And yet you have not a lot there that fully fleshes him out as the character you use him as an ancillary means to flesh out other characters yes. that the story is really about. His actions really didn't propel the narrative. It was Sochi. Sochi or Soji? Soji. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Let's not be negative, <laughs> Let's Michael. Let's not be negative. Um, it was more about Soji's motivation that kind of propelled and pushed the narrative forward. And because of that, you lost sight of our alleged lead, which was Picard. Whereas yes. now... You have Akiva Goldman in 60 minutes completely fleshing out an idea that revolves around a singular character. And now everyone else is ancillary to that. The fact that you have a message that says Picard, that they will only speak to Picard right there. It's a no brainer. It's so fucking easy to make an entire premise about one character, his yes. importance, because think about this. 
if you don't bring Picard, let's say they chose not to uh, contact him. Guess what? The story would never move forward. It would never move forward. And that's why when you review an episode like this, if you don't bring Picard to the USS Stargazer, there is no fucking show. You could remove Picard from last season and still tell the same show, the same story. Oh, yeah. Whereas this, you couldn't even get the story started if you didn't include Picard. Well, especially since this episode, every little tiny little bit, every little detail ties into Picard's legacy down from, you know, bringing in Guinan, bringing in various other characters, bringing in the Stargazer instead of the Enterprise, which the Stargazer, all Star Trek fans should know, is Captain Picard's first ship. And a ship that's directly connected to an emotional moment for him. Yes. And that in itself is, I thought was a really brilliant move because the easy way, the easy, the absolute easiest thing. And in a, in a layman script writer's hand who has no understanding of Star Trek would have just easily said, let's just make the, the, the ship, the enterprise. I was expecting that. Right. I was expecting that would have been too easy because it's easy. Mm -hmm. But the fact that, Akiva Goldsman said, no, 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 no. We're going to tap into actually Picard's history, his actual biography, which is the Stargazer. That gave me more hope. Doing little things like that, it doesn't take a lot, but it shows that basically you as the scriptwriter know what you're writing about. Well, David, and that's why, and just to be clear here, Dave, I mean, listen, there's no way of knowing that the second season of Picard is going to be amazing. We don't know. But by looking at what we were given in just one episode, there's more to this episode than <laughs> I don't want to be hyperbolic and I don't want to be a troll. No, 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 no. But no there, be it, be it, be it. There is more aspects of Picard and his importance and the fleshing out of his character in 60 minutes than all of last season, Dave. Yes. We learn more about the personal moments and, and what makes Picard tick and the problems he suffers with in a single episode than all of last season. That is not hyperbolic and that is not a troll. That is the God's honest truth because last season felt like it was anecdotal. Like it was Shaban who kind of knew the, the hot points the of hot Picard. Points. Like, okay, Picard is the captain of the Enterprise. He has a connection uh, with the Borg. He has a connection <laughs> with the Borg. He's Locutus, right? It's all like pop culture references, things that almost everyone knows, people who don't even really watch Star Trek, but they understand. But there's no meaning behind it. Right, because it's anecdotal. It's just, it's not real information. It's not something that you fully understand. And that was pretty much the the gist of most of the first season. It was a superficial scrape of the surface type of story as it pertains to Picard. It's a story written by someone who doesn't really understand the fabric of Star Trek and the fabric of a character. And that's why I am a lot more confident about this season, because in one episode, you see the complete opposite. You, you see that Akiva Goldman is going in the opposite direction. This is, David, for all intents and purposes, this is the Twilight story we need, not the indictment of Picard, which was the first season. The first season was an indictment of Picard. The second thing that Akiva didn't hesitate to do was subtly course correct every single one 
of our characters. Yes. And by doing so, we had an episode that felt like Star Trek. For the first time. You had Rios as a captain on a starship. Raffi as a captain on a starship. 709 is out doing her thing, but is on good terms with Starfleet. Yes. And the way they brought Agnes into the story, as well as Soji, didn't distract or detract. That was my biggest surprise because that, for me, that would be my biggest hurdle. Because I hate the character of Agnes since the end of season one. Would you see how they dealt with that whole issue? And they dealt with it? In five seconds. And I was like, okay, I can't hate this character. I don't like the reasoning, but hey, you gave me a reason. And then on top of that, it's now part of her character. So now it's part of her quirk. Right. And I can live with that. That character is a bit quirky. Okay. And that... That's how it's going to be with that character. I can live with that. The fact that Akiva Goldsman and this writing room felt the need that they had to address the elephant in the room, which was, hey, Agnes murdered someone in cold blood and we never acknowledged it ever again. And we let her run, you know, fun and fancy free with no repercussions. However, that's all we we don't need. We don't want to write your story. Yeah. Okay. We just want to make. We want to feel like you are writing your story. Exactly. And by having a moment that was three to five seconds. Even that. And Agnes said something about being innocent of uh, due to temporary alien insanity. I'm like, okay, problem solved. Thank you. Let's move on. Let's move on. But that's what Akiva Goldsman was doing throughout the entire episode. He was subtly fixing things, fleshing out certain ideas and course correcting some of our, our issues with, with the weird character connections that came out of nowhere, the bizarre relationship between Rafi and seven and nine. I'm not opposed to that relationship. I'm opposed to the idea that there was no work towards that relationship. It was suddenly, Oh, they are an item and they're holding hands. Now it felt Odd and strange. And same thing with Agnes, who murdered her former lover. And the <laughs> next thing we know, she's in bed with Chris Rios. It felt weird. Yeah. So they are trying to distance those characters because what they're going to end up doing, I don't know about Agnes and Rios, but it seems like with Raffi and Seven and Nine, they're going to create distance for now, which does make sense, and then bring them probably back together during the course of this season in a way that actually Makes sense. Makes sense. But on top of that, the thing I really appreciate, they they took the time, Akiva Goldsman took the time to kind of establish and set each character's parameters really quickly. Like it took, just like what you said, like probably three to five seconds of dialogue to establish seven to nine as a character. Raffi as a character. The Raffi element, I actually really liked. I know that basically she's not a very popular character no, since season I, one. I liked her too, yeah. But after, you know, finding out, oh, she's on her own ship, she wants to follow Elnor because, like, she wants to watch after him. Right. Because, like, she, we all know that Elnor is basically going to be taken advantage of because he's just too innocent. That, that sounds <laughs> very disturbingly sexual. It, it does, doesn't it? But, that but, sounds very pedophile. But in a lot of ways, you establish that basically, okay, there's a reason why now to like Raffi because she's now taken a more of a teacher or mentor role to Eleanor and she's legitimately looking after someone. Yeah. Where in season one, you gave us nothing to like Raffi about. 
she 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 was part of the indictment of Picard. Yeah, it felt weird. It felt weird. Yeah, it it was strange. But you are right. Like all these characters felt different because it was just handled better. And what I was trying to lead us to, Dave, is part of the reason why it felt better. And some people may not even realize this is the case, but when you analyze, you realize the reason why is because it wasn't about them necessarily. It was about trying to shift focus to Picard Picard. and his story. Yeah. That's why it all worked so well. Because again, when you have a TV show actually named after a specific individual, you should probably write your show to reflect that it's a show about a specific individual. And that's exactly what they did with this episode. So third thing, Dave, doing away with all the poorly motivated relationships, which we touched on briefly, and we'll just move on. No reason to harp on that. Fourth, Picard was not, and this is the big one for me, and I would say a large portion of our listeners, as well as people that we communicate with on social media, Picard was not a bumbling, ill-informed fool that isn't capable of the most simplest of things. Yes. Which is what he was in the first season. That was the heartbreaking aspect of the entire season. I yeah. could I could forgive maybe a poor, poorly written script. Okay. I can forgive a lot of things. But I can't forgive what they did to Picard last season. Everyone essentially ball slapped him. They, they told him to shut the fuck up. Oh God, dude. I hated that. He didn't know what to do in a ship. No one respected him. No one respected him. And then they try to create this odd story about patriarch and white privilege. Privilege. When they had Raffi essentially say that to Picard in front of her trailer while she's smoking weed, Weed. which is far more (laughs) offensive than white patriarchy. Yeah. You have a black woman smoking weed in front of a trailer that she lives in. That's the image (laughs) you gave us of black women in the future. Yep. Which didn't even make sense and contradicted the notions of Gene Roddenberry's utopian future. It didn't even make sense. The political message made no sense. Nope. You want to talk about white privilege. There is no white privilege in the world of Star Trek. It doesn't exist. Yes, because it's a utopia. (laughs) It doesn't exist. So that entire message was flawed and ridiculous. Yeah. And that's something that they remedied in this season. There was a more of a reverence of Picard, which is what you would expect with a character that has saved the universe countless times. You don't tell him to shut the fuck up and sit in the corner. You know how giddy I got when they did the scenes of Picard walking around the Federation right off the bat and everyone constantly stops and stands at attention for the Admiral yes. as they should. Yes. And I'm like going, yes, that's how it should be. And like Picard's like telling, oh, you don't have to do that. That's okay. But like. <laughs> I'm sweating right now, David, because I'm and, getting mad from last year. And exactly. Back. You can't. It's you can't. Back. Hey, snap fingers, <laughs> snap fingers. <laughs> but But like. It it made me so much, it gave me the feels much so much better. What even when he's on the stargazer and he gets on there, and what does Rios do? Admiral on the deck. Yes. Bang! Everyone just turns at attention, and then basically, 
as they should. He's the Admiral of the Federation. He's Admiral Captain. He's Admiral Jean Luc Picard. Admiral Captain Picard. <laughs> he's he's everything. <laughs> he's oh everything. man, it, that's why I like this episode as well. It, yeah. it, because there was more of a, a reverential spirit. Because because that's what we expected when we watched the first. Let, first off, let me stress this point for new listeners, Dave. I'm not against the complete deconstruction of a character. I'm yes. not against complicated characters that you make look bad and then you repair them. Look at the genius of Star Trek six, the undiscovered country where Kirk was essentially a racist. Yes. When he said, let them die. That wasn't a great picture for captain Kirk. You made captain Kirk look like a really bad person. Now we understood why exactly. We understood the reasons behind his prejudice and you know how it pertained to his character development and his journey through the last several years at that time which had to do with the the murder of his son by the hands of klingons so it does make sense so i'm not against the indictment if yeah. you will of a character where you then repair them and make them work through their imperfections i'm okay with characters being torn down we've seen that with burnham through the course of Star Trek Discovery, introduce a character who was essentially a mutineer. And I don't know if that was, in retrospect, uh, a great decision because it kind of set the tone <laughs> for a lot of dislike <laughs> among dislike. Star Trek fans. However, the idea is sound. Yes. You know, have a character who is a woman of two worlds where you have the idea of a highly emotional person uh, being internally contradicted uh, through her tutelage via Vulcan logic. That was the reason why she had that conundrum. That's the reason why she acted the way she did. So I understood yeah. the reasons behind it and it works. Um, so I have no problems with destroying a character and then you rebuild them and show them rise above, you know, rise, rise from it. the ashes, but it's the way you do it. And, and the way they did that with Picard during the first season Ultimately, at the end of the day, it really didn't work with what they were trying to do. Well, the, also the frustrating thing, the reason why it definitely didn't work also, in my opinion, for season one, you had moments when they could have. They could have actually delved into it, but instead they just left it hanging out there. No, like his failure with the Romulans, like not being able to get them to safety, like that all that works. Could, that all works, but they did. They decided not to dive into it. It wasn't part of the story. Yeah. And then, or even like his, his trauma with the Borg, when they did that whole moment when they said, oh, this is him facing his last trauma being turned into Locutus. Did they go further into it? Nope. They just dropped right, it. Because they're all just pieces of ideas, of ideas. that they didn't really fully yeah. flesh out. And that's why just with this first episode, it does feel like a, a far more focused idea and dissection of a character. Yes. Okay. So fifth, in the very first episode, when the Borg arrived, there was a wide array of starships of different shapes and size I'm surprised so you brought this up. <laughs> obviously, they got the message that the copy and paste situation from last season's finale wasn't going to fly with fans. Oh, dude. I was like cracking up because as soon as it happened, I was like, 
looking in the background going, okay, I see multiple different types of ship. There's different nacelles. They're different. Yeah. You know, it, it's all different shapes. Thank you. Well, Thank Dave, you. They, <laughs> they, it wasn't just, okay, so let's say it was just a bunch of Star Trek babies, us included, that were complaining about that seat. Let's say. There may be room for Akiva Goldsman and their other writers to kind of shrug and say, eh, well, the fans are just being, you know, fans. Fans. But visual effects, blogs, VFX, podcasts, (laughs) people, professionals in the industry were destroying that sequence. Oh, yeah. They were killing it. They put together side-by-side comparisons from technology from the 90s during action-packed sequences within TNG and in Deep Space Nine and then paralleled to contrast them, I should say, with the scene at the end of Picard where we had all the Federation's ships show up. And they asked and posed the question, how is it that in the 90s you have the technology to create a wide variety of amazing-looking spacecraft, but then in 2020 you choose to copy and paste a single ship and make all of them look the same completely muddy with no depth and no true shape of their own. So that's something that the producers couldn't ignore because that's quality. That's a quality issue that has nothing to do with, well, writing's definitely a quality issue, but it was no longer in the realm of writing and story expectations. So they couldn't shrug it off. These were the trades. Visual effects professionals essentially analyzing and critiquing a very shoddy looking visual effects sequence. So I have a feeling Dave, that the fact that it was brought so quick in the, in the start of the second season, it has to tell you and clue us in that they wanted to show a better sequence. Yeah. That was probably one of the biggest unified complaints across the board. When it comes to star Trek fans, I don't think there was one person that was saying that was great. Yeah. Did you, when, when the stargazer takes off into warp, I'm sorry, I actually got giddy and I was clapping in my seat because I'm going, this is what Picard last season was missing. Yeah. Because you needed the ship. You needed, you know, something that all Star Trek fans can, can, you know, gravitate towards. And dude, the stargazer, if they were to make the stargazer, the main ship in Picard, I would be happy because that ship looks amazing. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know what's going to happen because of the whole time travel thing, exactly. but we'll, we'll see soon. All right, so get more from the holodeck by pledging to our Patreon page. We do a wide variety of content every single month exclusively for our Patreon feeds. It helps you and it helps us. The more you pledge, the more... It justifies us coming in here week in, week out, putting out our free content. So head over to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge $5 or more a month and you will gain access to our behind the scenes tier where we essentially do, I don't know, 15 to 30 minute discussions before our regular show. Every single week we get into random Star Trek discussions about uh, different iterations of episodes or shows and um, comics, books, comics and books. We do a wide variety of that as well. So head over to patreon.com slash Rayman digital and pledge. Okay, Dave. So 
now that we're done with the checklist here, let's talk about some interesting things. Number one, Hugh. <laughs> Hugh is back. And I absolutely loved his introduction, and I might sue. Yes, yes, we need to sue <laughs> someone. No, no, but I have to say that I was very happy to see that. Well, first, maybe let's give some context to this, right? A little bit of backstory. So I want to say before season two of Picard was even announced, we had been talking about the possible inclusion of Q. You know, having Q brought into the show if they do a season Two. There was no talk of John Delancey joining as of yet, but it's something that we talk about because Q is one of our favorite characters because he's always been an interesting character that helps broker a philosophical discourse. That's why he works as a character. I know some people may think he's an annoying character, but when you look at what he is designed to be used for as a writing device, it's always geared toward to a couple things. A fleshing out Picard as an individual, and B it's usually connected to some type of philosophical thought that yes. is also connected to Picard. Yes. So we had said, hey, listen, we're dealing with a show about Picard. Q should be involved at some point, but they do have to be careful. And then we start talking about the age difference and how you're going to make a, you know, how you're going to justify the aging of John Delancey. And the first thing I said is, well, you just have him pop up. You do some type of CGI. You make him look young. He notices that Picard's old. He snaps his fingers and he looks just like him. Yeah. And, and I said, oh, look, you've aged. And what did he do, Dave? <laughs> he essentially did that, which I thought was just By verbatim. Fucking, yes. Exact words. Yes. And I'm like, this is fucking great. I love it. <laughs> and I, I loved the I loved the episode right after that because I'm going, it makes so much sense to Q standard to all of a sudden show up as his younger self and basically look at Picard. Oh, it, it's been a while and be really sarcastic about it. Let and me catch up. Let me catch up. And then he stabs his fingers and then he, but he's still more regal <laughs> and, he, and he's more clean shaven. I'm like going, yeah, it's Q basically just thumbing him, his, his nose at Picard because which is what that relationship is. Is. It's a little antagonistic, but also I want to stress the point that Q He's not a villain is not a villain. I see a lot of blogs that out there that they post these articles all the time. You know, those top 10 things or those lists, oh, the top villains of Star Trek and Q's always on the top list. And yeah. I'm like, he is not a villain. He is a, he is an obstacle. He's a writing device that's used to help flesh out character growth for Picard, at least during TNG later when he showed up on Voyager, it became more about him as yes. a character and fleshing out him as a character, as opposed to anyone else. And plus the thing is, is like being a villain means you're doing it maliciously and she was not doing this maliciously. I know that for a fact, just straight away from the dialogue, the short amount of dialogue that they had in that five minutes Q is more or less angry at Picard. It's always about the philosophy angle. It's about the philosophy angle. What he brings up, you know, when I last met you, I told you that the trial never ends. And you know what the, automatically I thought of? This is like a teacher looking at a student and scolding them. Yeah. And basically telling them, I told you from the get-go that the trial never ends, yet here you are constantly asking what should have been. And interestingly, Dave, 
if they're going to go in the, the direction that it does, in fact, look like they're going in, feels like this is almost like part three of part four of Encounter at Farpoint. Uh, because, part four. of yeah. course, you had part one and part two during season one, but then you had the denouma of that, which was the season finale. Yeah, we're up to all things, uh, all good things must end. Right, which was the bookends of the series. This feels like an addition to that. The new chapter yeah. is being started when it comes to that aspect of Picard's life and the lesson that which Hugh wishes to impart to Picard. To Picard, because like the whole point of the trial was, and I've I have harped about this every time we've we've discussed about the philosophy behind Q. Q's not doing this maliciously. Q is questioning, should you actually be worthy of being out here? And then at the uh, at the 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 tail end, the bookend, which was where good uh, all good things must come to an end, Q says, okay, you've earned the right to come out here. You've earned the right. Have a good day. But remember, the trial never ends. I'll be watching. I will be watching. And you get to Picard, and let's forget season one. Don't, uh, don't worry about season one, but worry about the, the, what they established in episode one. Picard is in the twilight of his life where he's beginning to regret everything. He's regretting the choices he made. He basically says, man, what? Why did I do this? Why why couldn't I do this? What's wrong with my love life? I'm so alone. Right. And then I can imagine Q showing up Q showing up going, "Wait a minute, dude. I gave you how many trials to actually answer that question? Are you making the right choice?" Okay, fine. Apparently the lesson isn't getting through your head. Or at least according to Q. Yeah, according to Q. And I can see that. And it, that's yeah. not a malicious thing. That's basically, a, uh, That's basically, as I said, it's more or less like a teacher looking at a student going, are you getting the lesson yet? Right. And at the <laughs> end of this entire bit here, it feels sincere to the journey of Picard because it ties back to the very first aspects of Picard during the run of TNG, when Q says, welcome to the end of the road, of the not road, taken, not taken. So it's going to be a continuation of that. And I am without a doubt looking forward to that. Now I will say moving into season two, I was nervous about the inclusion of Q and I still am because he's a, to me, he's a very important character. And we was, only had five minutes of him. Yeah. So. Yeah. And he was used for a very specific reason in Star Trek, the next generation. And hopefully, and based on what Akiva has done already in one episode, it does feel like they're going to use him appropriately. So we'll see. All right. So 709's total rejection of the Federation and Starfleet makes more sense. Yeah. I had said when they brought 709 back, why? I'm like, have you guys forgotten? Did Shea Ban, the former showrunner, never watch Voyager? Does he not realize that Seven and Nine is an intellectual? She's a scientist. She is not Sarah Connor with a chip on her shoulder and a giant gun tucked under her arm. That's not her character. It's never been. But they turned her into this action star during the first season of Picard with no real fleshing out of that idea of why she completely gave up Starfleet and her potential future within the Federation to live in the outlying 
you know, areas of, of space and become a ranger. I'm like, oh, okay. And they gave her that odd motivation with the death of her, uh, essentially her son, right? It, okay, they used that to fuel her anger, but it didn't justify what she was doing out there and why she rejected all of Starfleet. Now you understand in this episode, it was about trust issues. No one trusted her. Yeah. Because of the Borg tech, it was about people not trusting her. Yes. They were partial. They were biased. They were, I guess you can say prejudiced because they didn't know how or if they should trust her. And listen, that's also legitimate as well. When you look at the other side of things, you have to realize that the Borg was responsible <laughs> at that time for wiping out, for nearly decimating the Federation. The Federation. So, of course, people are going to be hesitant and nervous about a Borg individual running around openly amongst Starfleet and the Federation. So, now that we understand that, now when I see that we have this character working in the outer regions of space and having really nothing to do with Starfleet, okay, Thank you for explaining, explaining that because I'm not as angry as I was last season with what they did because to it, seven and nine. Because it makes sense too, because like I know automatically a lot of Voyager fans are going, well, none of the crew would abandon seven. And I'm going, yeah, that crew you're talking about uh, one crew against an entire right. Federation. Yeah. And, and even that Jane crew Wayne can only go so far. <laughs> and even that crew had time, had had needed hesitation time, needed time to adjust to having her on board. Yeah. So I feel like see David and all of these little things, these fixes that we've been talking about and these little moments of, of clarity, they didn't take a lot of time. Nope. And that shows you why it's so important to have a writer and a showrunner who understands the nuances of television because they can do this type of work. David, in one of the greatest aspects of the episode, even more so than Q. Guinan? So, to, well, Guinan, yes. We already <laughs> talked about her, David. Simmer down. <laughs> you know, when it comes to the philosophy aspects, it's always where I'm, I gravitate to. When Picard is having his speech at Starfleet Academy and he says, time is the final frontier. Yes. That statement could easily have been used to set things up for a philosophical discourse that will probably be embedded, or I should say, this statement was easily positioned the way it was in order to set things up for a philosophical discourse that will probably be embedded within the narrative throughout the season. This statement is a philosophical loaded gun it could be used to explore notions of existentialism, easily determinism, yep. especially since we're dealing with an alternative timeline, essentially, as it looks. Yeah. May be the case. When I say alternative timeline, I'm not talking about an alternative timeline, let's say to Kelvin, but just a, a, a fuckery of, of the timeline. Yeah, because via you're, Q. you're, 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 expe you're, you're basically asking the most philosophical question that could be out there. What if, what if I chose this path instead of this path? What would have happened? We don't know that because just like what Picard said, time is the final frontier. Time is the final frontier, David. And 
once you make a decision, you're stuck on that path because time is finite. Time, time cannot change. And, if you, and you could bring that aspect to, you can bring that aspect back to Picard. To have, okay, let me see how I'm trying to, remember, let me see how to phrase this. Um, the issue of time has been a theme that has been subtle. It's been a subtle thing that's been connected to Picard in various ways. Look at Next Generation and, and Soren. Many, many times. When he says, yeah. time is the fire in which, which we, we burn. burn. Which is I, one of my favorite sayings, dude. Oh, absolutely. It, it is very con-ish. Yeah. Right? But it's true. Yes. It was philosophical, man. It's, that's what it's about. You have Picard connected to the issues of passing of time, regret, there's different things that you connect. Look what Star Trek Generations was all about. It was about time. It was about the past. It was about a potential future that never happened. It was about basically coming to terms with your choices. Your, your choices. That's what I always loved about Generations was like Kirk was happy. That Do you notice Kirk is the perfect captain because he's happy with whatever choice he makes. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. Does not deviate. He's like a stoic. He's like stoic. I mean, like even in generations when he says, this is the day that basically I did this. You don't dwell on things that you can't change. Yeah. And I'm going to relive it again and again because it made me happy. (laughs) He doesn't, he doesn't ask. I'm going to change it. No, no. We're keeping it the same. Yep. I, 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 so yeah, Dave, there, there are a lot of things that are awesome that they are already including within the story. And it allows us as a viewer to see, if you know what to look for, to see the moving parts and what they're working with. And I do have a feeling that the issue of time, because we're dealing with time travel, we're dealing with uh, an idea of existentialism, the end of your life, uh, possibly even mortality, because Picard is inside of a synthetic vessel, essentially, which I'm telling you now, David, that's probably going to be also completely done away with. I have a feeling that at the end of the season, <laughs> Q is going to fix the, I'm calling it now. Q is going to give him a human body because it's good. Because be it's got to be the stupidest idea ever. Oh, and, and it's the one thing that would absolutely piss off Q. Well now. Okay. So <laughs> the only way they would keep Picard in this synthetic body is if, is if they're going to use that to, catapult him a thousand years into the future so he can be in a crossover episode with Discovery. (laughs) So stupid. All right. So let's get back on track here. The issue of time will definitely be playing a big part in the season. And of course, people may say, well, of course they're dealing with time. They're going back in time. Yes. But I'm talking about thematically. They're going to start drawing those connections. Okay, Dave. I think this brings us to the end of our discussion. Yeah, we had, we covered a lot of stuff. Yeah. You know what, Dave, I'm just going to keep it simple. I'm going to give this episode an 89% on the RMD score. Go ahead. I'm going to surprise you because like I initially came into this and basically we, we were covering both discovery and Picard and we were bringing up the question, which is better. I'm giving Picard a 95. A 95? Wow. Because the Because of all the narrative, 
nuances that Akiva Colesman did to remedy my my fears of season one. And here I'm just basically feel that, oh, we could just basically say season one is in the past. Here's our narrative. This is what we're going to focus on. The story is going to be about Picard because, hey, it's a series about Picard. And you have all these elements to tell a magnificent Star Trek philosophical story about life, about human nature. You know, I hope Akiva Goldsman lives up to it. So I'm thinking that basically out of the past week, Picard actually had a really strong season opener and yeah. actually a better episode for me than Discovery yeah. for, the, for the first time in a long time. Yeah, it's very, very strong start. It does give me hope for the rest of the season because there is a definitive plan here. It does feel that way. Again, this can definitely fall apart. We've seen it happen before, but I choose to remain optimistic and tell Akiva Goldman and the current writers prove differently. So 89% for me, 95% from you, David. Yep. And this does bring us to the end of our discussion. I want to thank everyone for listening and I want to remind people to please go to Patreon, patreon.com slash Rayman Digital and pledge $5 or more a month and gain access to our behind the scenes tier as well as our podcast tier. And when you do so, you'll gain access to hundreds, if not thousands of hours of additional Star Trek discussions from us. Patreon.com slash Rayman Digital. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.